The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi. Hi there. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. I'm really glad you were able to join us, taking some of your precious time and spending it on learning a little bit more about workplace visuality and why it's important and how it can help you. Every week, we talk about some aspect of the visual workplace, some aspect of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work. We do it through visual devices, through visual inventiveness, why? So that we can work with focus and precision and high safety and pace and quality so our company can make good profit and good profit margins, increasingly good profit margins, and we can enjoy ourselves at work. We can enjoy ourselves because work begins to flow. We've taken the struggle out of work. We've created work that makes sense by removing the information deficits. And that's what workplace visuality is about. It's about removing information deficits and replacing them, removing them through the visual devices that hold that information. So we have questions, and the questions in in a non-visual workplace are answered through the mouth, through reading something, through hand signals, (laughs) whatever. In a visual workplace, the answers are embedded. We ask a question once and we realize there's an information deficit. We answer that question and we turn that answer into a visual device and we implant it, install it, embed it into the landscape of work in the form of devices. Just the way we will put a sign up on the roadway that says, slow down children playing, but also... If it doesn't have impact, if the behavior doesn't change as a result, if people don't slow down, then we will put a more powerful visual device in place. We will take the same message, but put more of an effort on getting the behavior change, getting people to slow down. So we turn the the sign that says, slow down, children playing, into, for example, a speed bump which has the same embedded message, slow down children play, uh, playing, but makes us slow down. Because, you know, you take the first speed bump, if you don't see it, you take it on the fly, but you're ready for the second speed bump, you've slowed down because you want to keep your struts. You don't want your struts to get broken and you got the message, your behavior changes. 
the whole idea about visuality is that there is a message that is worthy and important to be delivered, and we need to ensure that it is delivered. And as we move up the food chain of visuality, we come, we become more and more certain that the behavior is going to change. We take more and more the element of human will out of the equation. So that at the beginning, when we were on the, the bottom of the house, the house of visuality, we're in the realm of the visual where, we're in the realm of borders and addresses, what you might call 5S, but I call it the visual where or visual order. And we're doing gross things like putting things in their place. And you know, that's entirely optional. You can completely ignore those borders and addresses, especially if somebody's not looking and you've had a bad day, and put it somewhere else and not put it any special place at all. Put it outside the border. You can exercise your will. No big deal. You had a bad day. Why shouldn't you do something grumpy? But as we begin to encounter issues of quality and issues of safety, we want to control that behavior so that we humans don't have the options of either interpretation or of doing what we feel like it just because we're having a bad day. And we begin to narrow the spectrum of what we can do. We create instead of a visual indicator that has no power at all, like a sign, we create visual controls which are structuring in. That is the nature of a control. They structure in. They control behavior through volume, through quantity, through structure. And we get more tightly aligned. And on the higher levels, especially around quality, we take human will away in 100% and we create pokeyok devices or visual guarantees where we are controlling behavior on the attribute level. I like to say we are controlling cause. We are mastering cause on the attribute level. Human will has nothing to do with it. When you're putting a credit card into your, into the machine that's going to give you gas, there's only one way. You can will it any other way you want, but if you want the gas, you're going to put it in the right way. And you may not know what the right way is. You just keep randomly trying it out, and eventually, either somebody will come along and <laughs> show you the right way, or you'll discover it. Kachunk. Okay? That's what visuality is. So we're, we're embedding information with various levels of power into the living landscape of work. We're creating the logic of performance, our performance. We're taking our intelligence and we're translating our intelligence into these discrete messages that we call visual devices. We're letting the workplace speak. We're letting the workplace speak because we have given it a voice and it is speaking in a voice that we recognize because it is our own voice. You can hear the ownership right there. When we allow people to create a visual workplace that speaks to them, they own it. It's their voice. And if they move on either because they're promoted or they get shifted to another department, another shift, or they retire, they leave their voice. They leave this foundation of visuality. Okay? It's very, very beautiful. Visual workplace, I have, I, I discover every day the ways in which it serves us as a partner. It's a real living partner because it's a living language. And that's what we look for when we go into plants. We look for this living language, vibrant language. A lot of people go ooh and ah about workplace visuality. And they've really, for the most part, only scratched the surface. 
This is what makes our day sing because we've got a partner who moves with us. It's called the workplace and the things that are in the workplace. So today what we're going to do is – so welcome, welcome, welcome. And today we're going to continue our focus on smart placement. That surprise step I constructed way back in the late 1980s when I was failing at traditional 5S. But much, much more about that in a moment. And by the way, this is a call-in show, so your call is welcomed at any time, including right now. The number is 866-472-5790, and I've decided as a New Year's resolution that I'm going to, on my live shows, just keep repeating that number, and you'll get the message, boy, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know what your questions are. I'd love to know what your comments are. What are your experiences? Where have you failed? Where have you succeeded? What do you want to brag about? What What do you want to have a conversation about? I'm waiting for this to happen. It's been 18 months since we've been going down this road. I need your voice. I'm getting tired of my own. So I have a few announcements. Let's see. I want to tell you that I'm starting a really very interesting multi-plant rollout on Pokioke on Visual Guarantees in about a month. And I'm going to be joined by my colleague, the great Martin Hinckley, my, my friend with a 53-pound head. And we are going to do um, – this is in biomedical, and we're going to develop that model uh, so that we can put into perspective – uh, what the other quality movements can and can't do. Pokioke is the answer as far as I'm concerned. You heard me do a whole 20, 30 minutes on that in my uh, show Borg, uh, Borg Quality. That was about three weeks ago. We're also starting, I'm also by myself starting a rollout in a textile, a group of textile plants. We're going to start with 14 plants, three demo plants, and 11 secondary plants. And I'm telling you this because I want you to know, first of all, that um, what I said before, that Pokioke is a part of the visual workplace, only on the attribute level. And I also want you to know that the thing about working in textiles is that there currently is not a model for visuality in the textile industry. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to work with a committed company that wants to do, for all the right reasons, business and cultural wants to bring visuality in on a very robust level and change the landscape of work, pick up 7, 8, 10, maybe even 15 um, percent increase in productivity. 15 is a little bit stretched for this kind of industry because it's extremely low complexity in terms of the batch size, high, high, high volume. But I know we can get 6, 7, 8, 9. And that in this industry is very much sought after. It's a very good thing. But I, but right now there's no model for how do you do visuality in the textile industry. And I'm so honored to have the opportunity to work uh, with my my client partners on that. And remember, visuality is the end of missing answers. It's the beginning of connectivity across the company. And when you have connectivity, alignment is not far behind. And with it is the end of struggle and the beginning of flow, flow, fluid work. So it's another chance to get visuality going in a different industry. Textiles have been long neglected as candidates for operational excellence because the work is done in such huge 
uh, batches. And because you have thousands of people in every facility, and it's where do you begin? Well, that's what we're going to we're going to get create that template. We're going to do a conversion template, and I'm going to tell you more. Oh, probably in about five or six months about the conversion template. I've been using it for several years, but um, I don't want to quite introduce it yet. But we will do that. I also want to remind you that I'll be doing a keynote and a public seminar uh, the week of February 20th to the 22nd at the Lean and Six Sigma World Conference in San Diego. And, and the website is Lean and Six Sigma, all spelled out, Lean and Six Sigma, one word, dot org. Okay, we're going to post it on the website, but our calendar, we've, we have hidden our calendar because uh, we're so busy doing other things that um, uh, public work right now is something that is um, put off for a while. But we are going to be doing that, and I hope you can come. So let's get back to today. Today we'll continue our walk into and through the smart placement methodology. This is a subset of my approach to 5S. It is also a step that can be done alone as a standalone methodology, and many, many people do. So let me set things up. Last week, I was talking about why smart placement is needed. In a few words, it's because we have to make sure that the items of work are well located before we nail them in place with a border and an address, or as some of you call it, with lines and labels. I don't call it that because for me a line is not a function. It is simply a connection between two points. It's a geometric uh, definition. It is not a functional definition. So I call them borders. Borders and addresses, not lines and labels. I want to encourage you to think about that. But the thing is, when you lay down some tape or you lay down some paint and you're only outlining the things where they are now, why bother to do it? Why bother? And that's what you hear from people on teams. Why am I just, I'm just tracing the outline of things. Why? So that I can get a uh, four out of five on next week's audit? You might even get grumpy about the, the thought of that you're only doing it for an audit. Because then you also will end up saying, you know, now I'm going to have to maintain that darn line. The tape's going to come up. The paint will have to be refreshed. But why? But when we begin with smart placement, with the thinking behind smart placement, we start looking at those lines differently. In smart placement, we apply borders in order to capture the location of function. So it's not a line around a table, but it's a border around the location of the paperwork function. It's not a table, it's a paperwork function. And it's not just a function in isolation, but it's that paperwork function in relationship to the other functions in the area, in relationship to the material, to material handling, material loading, to quality issues. It's that paperwork function in relationship to the machine if you're a machine, or a paperwork function in relation to patients if you're in healthcare. So we are identifying the things of the workplace in smart placement as functions and then we're developing a relationship between those functions so that we have that connectivity and we try to bring that relationship as close together as possible. We're trying to create an environment that triggers the least amount 
of the motion called walking or even transportation. So motion is still moving without working, which you've heard me talk about many times before. That's the enemy, name of the enemy in the visual workplace. We are using smart placement to attack motion. The motion that is triggered by the random or, if you will, unintentional, unconscious placement of the things at work, of the material, of the benches, of the tools, of the parts, of the charts, of the supplies. We make it very conscious, very intentional. And today we're going to learn about two maps that will help us do so, will help us find that function and find that relationship. Two maps. The first map is called the what is map. And I think we'll be able to get through that today. It's pretty simple, but I want to make some points. And the could-be map, we may get lucky and be able to nail that one as well. So please come back after the break. We'll say more, and we'll carry on with this. This is a little mini-conversation, a little teaching on smart placement. We want to give you the technology of this so that you have enough in these shows to go out and do it yourself. We want you to do it. You don't need to buy my book. You just have to learn how to do it. And so that's what is happening in this show. And in the next, and probably two more after that. See you in a minute. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call one 866 472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the second part of our show today. We are still on the journey of learning about smart placement and how it can help us. How it can help us either as a standalone concept of placing the things of the workplace smartly and in relationship with each other in order to reduce motion or also as part of your 5S, 
let me say something about 5S and why I decided to do this. Why I didn't really decide. It was clear to me that I needed to do this step. So back in the 1980s, you know, I began 83, 84 with 5S when I was doing a lot of the then traditional Japanese 5S work. The usual translation short, short, sorry, sort, shine, set things in order, standardize or simplify and sustain, which by the way is a totally elective translation of Seri, Seitan, Seiso, Seketsu and uh, Sitsuke. Can translate it anyway, but that's the one that caught on. Sort, shine, set things in order, standardize, or sometimes simplify and sustain. And some, some people add a sixth S on safety. Anyway, I was doing it, and it was just too hard. Everything was push. Me pushing teams to undertake this work. A lot of grumbling. No lift. Nothing inspiring. Nothing exciting. Nothing unexpected ever happened. It was as dull as dirt. I hated it as much as anyone I was teaching. There was nothing but push. There was no pull. There was no pulling knowledge from me, pulling me into a greater discovery. There was no pull at all. I felt a failure. And the people who, the teams that worked with me, they felt, well, they felt bored. But it was a required activity I was getting paid, and their paycheck depended on their getting on board. They needed to obey. It was a corporate initiative. It was a plant-wide initiative. Jim Womack said it was the first step, and it is, of the journey to excellence. But it just, it just wasn't much fun to dump the junk. There was no fun in dumping the junk and shining things up. And when it came to the lines part, the lines and labels part, the stuff that I now call borders and addresses, it just seemed plain dumb. Why do I have to put a line around a phone? Many people said. And then a heartbeat later, when we got to the labels part, why do I have to call a phone a phone? I know it's a phone and everybody else knows it's a phone. And people just withdrew. They had to show up, but they weren't engaged. And the thing is, the Japanese don't do 5S the way we do. They don't do it the way we want to do 5S as a way of employee engagement and employee development. They don't do it as a cognitive, as a thinking exercise. They just do it. By rote, the way one brushes one's teeth. It is needed, it is known, it is done. 5S done in this way aligns perfectly with the Japanese social and work culture with the Japanese mindset. There's no criticism on either side of the ocean here. Order, orderliness, no clutter, Japan. Japan, an overpopulated island with the most expensive square foot real estate in the world. Because real estate is such a premium. Why shouldn't that value be brought into the factory? People understood it. So they put and kept things in order. It's a perfect match. And there was no need, and in Japan, there is no need to reach more. To reach for more in your 5S, in their 5S. There's no need to reach for more in that 5S. It's a foundation, it's needed, and it's enough. No need to use it as a vehicle of creating employee involvement. The great companies of Japan use a 
dozen other vehicles for that, including one-on-one coaching, kata. But when 5S came to the West, especially in the U.S., where there are huge tracts of unpopulated land in every direction, where we barely notice the ratio of person to land, 5S was not exactly natural. It was a bit artificial and, you know, even odd. But more than odd, it seemed an artificial construct. It seemed synthetic and contrived. There was only for us, and I spent 20 years doing this stuff. I spent about 10 years failing at it. It had only the barest of underlying logic. Why am I putting a, 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 a line around a phone and calling it a phone? And I think that is one of the reasons why 5S was translated from the Japanese so, how shall I put it, creatively, why people inserted things like standardize and simplify into the 5S because they wanted to get more out of it. It is not in the Japanese 5S. Seri, Seitan, Seiso, Seketsu, and Shitsuke, no part of that means standardize or simplify. And it always put my teeth on edge because we were trying to make 5S do more than it was supposed to do. So we, you added things, but I added things. I mean, we needed to make it more than clean. We here in the West needed to make it more than clean your teeth, keep them clean, and put your dentures in a jar marked my dentures. I'm just continuing with the uh, teeth metaphor, the teeth uh, little image. We had to do more because it was too plain and uninspired in the bare Japanese. Not for the Japanese. Because the Japanese did so many other things. But for us, so we added things. Me too, I added things. I added things because, like you, I wanted it to be a doorway to growth, to inspiration, to magic, to excellence. Cleanliness and order. How do we unnest it? How do we find the beating heart of what seems to be dull and ordinary? So I looked for resurrection. What is 5S really about here in the West? I, I asked myself. That was a question I had in the 80s. I remember, I remember asking, how can I make this work? Well, it didn't take me more than two heartbeats to answer the question I had finally realized I had to ask. 5S in the West is really about visuality. Visual order, order you can see, order that functions. And with it, hand in hand, it was about inventiveness, visual inventiveness. Because if you ask folks to get visual about function, they will naturally also get visual about performance. Because performance is the sum of all functions in the area. Performance, I can make my performance visual. So when I saw my repeated failure in traditional Japanese 5S, and that doesn't mean I didn't do try to do an excellent job in bringing it about, it meant that even though I did a a really bang-up job, it was still boring. (laughs) It never rolled over. The application didn't have enough internal juiciness to be anything other than just plain what it was. Five S's. So I noticed that, and I began to poke around. I tried to find secrets. There weren't many. So I concocted secrets. Secrets, And one of the first things I realized was that a line wasn't really a line. It was a bad translation that a line needed to function, and that's called a border. 
The same thing with labels. It's not just a label. It's a name on that label that functions. And the function is called an address. And when I looked at the border as a function, that's when I was brought face to face with the fact that the border was bordering a location and that location had a function too. And that a group of borders represented the pattern of function in a work area. And this led me to question the very locations where we put the borders around. Were they valid locations? Were they worthy of bordering? Or were they instead random, coincidental, even haphazard? Did they have logic or were they absent logic? And that's when I discovered and that's when I inserted smart placement which is the step before borders. In my translation, it's the step before set locations, where you're setting them with a border and an address. The step before, which is S4 in my methodology, is called select locations, keeping the S. Select locations, implement smart placement. The conscious and conscientious selection of the right location for a function represented by a table, machine, a component, component parts, trash, whatever, in relationship to the location of all other functions in proximity in the area. So we're not using lines to just outline. We're using lines to connect to get higher functionality. Now to put a finer point on it and I want to because I want you to get this I'm using different words than I did last week to put a finer point on this the haphazard placement of workplace items will trigger the enemy and the enemy is motion the unnecessary motion movement from point to point whether it's walking or carrying transporting and it's caused by the current location of things Traveling, retracing one's steps, doubling back, picking up mileage. Janet Jones at, at Harris Corp in Quincy, Illinois, racked up 5.5 miles a day on her sp- uh, pedometer without ever leaving her department. Why? Because of the illogical entangled layout of the things in her work area. It was a cabling department. 5.5 miles a day. Do you know how much walking that is in one day? That is one day, let alone just what you do between work. You know, I asked Janet many, many times, honest, was it 5.5? And she was the nicest person in the world. She almost got the point of saying, read my lips, Gwenny, 5.5 miles. So we put smart placement in place before we lay down borders. It is a thinking step. And to help us think, we use two maps. This is a great way to do it. The first map is called the what is map. And that enables us to see the motion as it happens because of the layout of function. You may remember last week I was talking about green rubber and the layout that was caused by a blue clicker machine, some rubber, a table, some racks of dye, a desk and a chair, and three hours of motion between those functions created what you would call a plate of spaghetti. But we don't call it spaghetti because that masks over its real meaning. We call it a pile of motion triggered by the layout of function. 
many of you have written and asked and also said thank you. Gee, how do I revitalize my 5S? And if you are the one company in the world that hasn't started 5S first, I say to you, begin with mapping out the current layout of function and see what motion that triggers to get insight so your thinking is clear. So I'm going to walk you through after the next break, which is coming up in just a few seconds. I'm going to walk you through the first map, and maybe I'll get to the second map. The second map will definitely flow over until next week because I've got to uh, walk you through some people uh, people items, some messy people items. So I'll see you in a minute. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'll be here when you get back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi there. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome to the third segment of the Visual Workplace, where today we are talking about smart placement and the mapping process. We're about to begin instructions on the what is map, and I want to again encourage you to call in. If we don't, if, if your phone call means that we leave, we lose a little bit of this show that I had planned, it would just pick it up next week. Your phone call is much more important. So the call-in number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. Just before the break, we were talking about the two maps, two powerful maps. There's no better way to cultivate the thinking that we call smart placement than to develop these maps. Both maps use sticky notes, colored sticky notes, to represent different kinds of functions. But basically, there are four categories of sticky notes. Yellow is used for anything that is hard to move, that is bolted in or wired in or dangerous or too heavy. Blue is easy to move. You and I could move it with maybe Marianne's help. 
Pink is for work in process. Green is for consumables. This is in every work environment, in a bank, in a hospital. This has been used very, very effectively at um, Deaconess Beth Israel in Boston under Alice Lee. She's done wonderful work with, uh, with Smart Placement. Okay? So the What Is Map that we're going to talk about now gives you a way to see the extent of motion in your area to see how the current layout of function triggers motion. The second map, which we'll do probably the next show, we'll see if we have time today, I doubt it, it will give you a chance to rethink that, to create, if you will, an ideal state or at least a much improved state and along the way to see what your previous motion was in the what is map and your shrunk motion, your reduced motion can be. Okay, you'll see it. So, so our metric is motion. Hmm? And I'm going to, when we do the, the could be map, I'm going to give you 14 principles of smart placement, which are very, very valuable. And I'm also going to tell you on the second map, you're going to do what's in your control. Okay? Not pie in the sky, but in your control. You may want to knock down that wall, but you're going to do a lot of other things first. Okay, yeah. So here are, let's go through the instructions for the what is map. Basically, for both maps, you need these kind of supplies. You need a clear space. You need about 60 to 90 minutes per map. A little bit more for the could-be map because you're going to be applying principles and making changes. And any of these can be done in smaller sessions. The supplies at the table per team, and I'll tell you about the team configuration in a second, is four, six large pieces of white chart paper, even better if they have faintly pre-printed grid lines on it. That will help. Pencils with good erasers, erasers by themselves, several rulers, several pairs of scissors, a roll of masking tape because you're going to tape some of this stuff uh, either on the wall or onto the table. You're going to look for bullet point markers, black, red, green, and blue. And you're going to have sticky notes, post-its. Two-by-threes are fine. You're going to cut them to size, but you're going to have them in yellow, blue, pink, and green. You'll have some clear removable tape that will help you keep those post-its in place if you have to move the map. And you're going to have a small plastic see-through bag. In beginning this, you're going to work entirely in your classroom, in your session room. And at a point after you've done your map, you'll go out and verify. But what I want you to do, and I'll talk as though I'm your instructor, is I want you to remember to recall to think, okay, using this first map. So on this map, your first map, decide which way you want to sketch out your layout, the layout of your area. You're going to do it portrait or landscape. So turn the paper the right way, the white paper the right way, and write at the top of the upper, in the middle, what is map, and on the upper right, the name of your area, today's data, and the people working with you today. That's the upper right, right. And then thinking about it with a pencil, no, no markers. We often just take the markers away until people do their pencil work first so that they don't, you know, pick up a marker and then 
make a mistake in thinking and have to kind of start all over again. So with a pencil, think about it and then sketch out the boundaries of your work area on that white piece of paper. Leave a margin on the outside of one to two inches so that you have room on the outside. We're going to use them much later on. Use a solid line for walls and non-movable structures. Use a dashed line, again in pencil, for non-structural boundaries. Like there's, it's the end of your department, but there's really no wall. There's just an aisle. So just use a dashed line to indicate that. You can pencil in brackets or leave a space for doors. You can use a wiggly line for windows, again in pencil. And in pencil, sketch in any eye beams. You can just make a big eye so it looks like an eye beam. You do this with pencils, no markers. Hmm? Save yourself that trouble. When you've completed these tasks in pencil, then you retrace the lines in a bullet point black magic marker. Flat tip markers are too wide, so just a bullet point. But let me say something about how this work is done. This is the kind of work that you want to do as a team. And instructors, if you teach this, one of the little rules you put into place is that everybody does something. We don't want one person grabbing the pencil, or grabbing the ruler so you have a nice straight line, grabbing the ruler and the pencil and making it work out, making their layout. If you see that happening, instructor, then you say, okay, here's the rule. One person gets to hold the pencil. The other person gets to hold the ruler. And you know what happens immediately? People are working together. They're grumpy, but you're, you lay down the rules. And if you know that they don't play well together, <laughs> then you say it at the beginning. By the way, there's one rule. You get to do one thing. You have a pencil or you get the ruler. You have a post-it and somebody else has the scissors. And what that does is it creates, first of all, a third focus where people are focused on something outside of themselves and their emotional connection. They're focused on the piece of paper. And you're also having a little bit of fun. And some people will just uh, put their hands on their chest and refuse to play. But I have never seen it not happen that people don't get lured into it because it's fun and it's easy and because they have an opinion. And what people are doing here is they are remembering their layout. And here are some of the things that happen that you as, that can happen that you as an instructor have to be aware of. Often it happens that no one in the, in the group has a real sense of proportion. So they'll use the upper corner of the piece of paper, which is going to get you into trouble later because they won't be able to really find the motion and get the items into a very small space. So you have to be aware of that. And what I always do at the beginning of one of these exercises is I do it myself. Here I am putting the outside borders in in pencil. Here are the I-beams. Here's a here's a window, here's a door. I do it on a great big and I use the whole paper. I use my I leave my one or two inches on the sides. And now I'm going to pick up my magic marker because I think this looks pretty good and I'm going to outline it so you I can see it better. You know, and I begin by very first step putting what is map, date, team in the upper right. And I demonstrate it, I model it. But be aware of this. If you see people just say, oh, you know what? Let me find that eraser. Can you guess why? 
And somebody will say, because we're not using enough of the paper. Yeah, it's really going to bite you later. So let's use the whole paper. Maybe you really ought to think about changing the direction because your, your, your department is really long and skinny. And they work it out. And you let people take their time, instructors. Let them take their time because they're both learning the exercise, what these small rules mean, but they're also working with each other in ways that is not, in ways that are not like discrete manufacturing or discrete anything. They're working together, especially if you have this thing, one person holds the scissors or one person holds the the pencil, the other one holds the the ruler. Okay. That's why the grid lines are helpful. And you get people, and what I do is I say, I want to see it in pencil before I give you a magic marker. Let me see what what you've done. I'll usually have two or three coaches in the room if I've got five or six groups because this is really labor-intensive, and I want people to have success. I want them to feel safe, and I want them to feel the success of these simple tasks. That will pay off big time when I start asking them to think and to change their thinking. So I want the feeling in the room to be really uh, soft and safe, psychologically safe, certainly physically safe. So you do everything in pencil, you complete that task, you retrace your pencil lines in a bullet point black marker. Now, I'm going to say this to you. The next step is to do that again in preparation for the second map. You're going to need a map that is identical The could-be map starts identical to the first one. And the most efficient way that I've learned over the years to do this is to do the second map immediately following the steps that change the map. So immediately now, when you've completed the step of making your what-is map with the black outline, you take a second piece of paper of the same size, you put the could-be map on top, your area's name, the date team members and you tape that to the table I'm sorry and you tape your what is map to the table your first map you tape it to the table so it holds still and you lay your clean paper on top of it this is the fastest way to do it and teams get it really quickly and they trace the outline of the map that's underneath and when they've got that right then they do that in black magic marker and then they set it to the side They use their tape to put it on the wall. They're going to be bringing it forward in a moment. We're going to be doing that, preparing the maps, doing the what is map, and as soon as we've got that in place, then doing its corollary in the could be maps. You just keep playing those together. The next step is to take the sticky notes. And the sticky notes are in the three colors. Yellow for hard to move, and I usually, I always make a little legend so people get this. Yellow for hard to move for items that are too heavy or dangerous or to move or bolted down, recessed, wired in. Blue for easy to move. You and a buddy can handle it. And this includes your waste paper baskets and chairs and some desks. If you're a union shop, then you know you have to follow the labor rules, of course. Pink is for your whip. Raw material, parts, orders, assemblies, finished goods, whatever WIP is. And if you're in healthcare, you got to sort that out. Just get your definitions right. And green is for consumables, packing supplies, uh, 
if you're in manufacturing, dill, drill bits, lubricants, etc. Okay? You find the color and you cut your sticky notes to the specific shape of things. If the thing is round, you cut it round. If the thing is long and wide, you might use two notes. You cut them to the shape. And you try to get them to scale, proportional, if you can. And when you've done that, you write the name of each item on each note. And you're very specific. CNC machine 3, tool cabinet 46, J190 parts pink for whip, cardboard boxes green for consumables. And then you place each sticky note on the map, on the what is map, exactly where that item is today, right now in your area as you remember it. So I'm going to continue with these instructions. And for those of you who are here on a more conceptual level, we have to go through this just in case people want to do this exercise. We will do many, many conceptual um, riffs over the next two or three shows as we go through principles. But we first have to get our maps in place because our map is where we're going to apply the principles. So be patient uh, as we go through this procedure. It's important. This is the kind of techie part of it. <laughs> paper and sticky notes. Please come back in a minute. We'll com- complete the mapping and then next week we'll talk about applying principles. We'll first do the what is map and map out our motion and then we'll start changing it by applying the principles of smart placement. I promise you, you will find this very interesting. I find it interesting and I've been doing it for 20 years. See you in a minute. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. And you're in the last segment of our show today, The Visual Workplace, where we're talking about smart placement. And we're going through the kind of technical details of getting our two maps in order, or what is map and could be map, so that we can then use them to both see what is triggering motion 
in our area by the location that function currently is and then also to change that. So the map is a very, very important thinking tool. And we were at the point just before the break of getting our sticky notes in order along the three lines. Yellow for hard to move, blue for easy to move, pink for whip or whatever whip equivalent is in your work setting, and green for consumables. We have put the outline of our department with solid lines for solid walls, dashed lines for porous walls or no walls at all, some kind of um, uh, aisleway. We have put in the structural elements that can't be moved, for, for example, sinks and overhead ventilation and I-beams. And then we put down our sticky notes. The sticky notes are cut to size and to the proportion, the shapes that fit more or less, that fit more or less into the um, outline that we have made, first in pencil and then in black marker. And now we're going to lay down those notes in, a, in as close to the into the in as close to the right location as we can remember. When we do that for the what is map, while people are in the production mode, we say let's also do the same for the could be map. Let's make a duplicate set of sticky notes because we made the second map. It's up on the wall. It has the same outline. We're going to populate it identically. And even though we're not going to use that map for another hour or two, we're going to use this production mode to get it ready. So we make a second, a second um, set of sticky notes. We do the same thing. We can lie the what is map, lay the what is map underneath taping it down so it doesn't move and we can lay the other map on top and put the sticky notes or we can lay it side by side. It doesn't matter, but it's done quickly. And when the, what's happening dynamically with the group is that they're working together on a very focused task. They're purposeful. And for the most part, I've never seen it fail that the groups will work harmoniously because they have simple but... Um, but specific tasks to do that are getting them ready for a better, for a, a uh, thinking exercise. And I want to talk to you about why I don't use CAD to do these maps. I specifically do not use it. I'm often asked by people, why don't we provide people with CAD, CAD maps drawn by the computer so they don't have to do things by hand? Think of all the time they, that could be saved and all the bother. Well, there's two main reasons for asking people to draw by hand. First of all, I have found no better way for people to connect to a micro and macro level of motion in their current, in the, in their current work area than to sketch it out working by hand and then to populate it by hand with sticky notes, it really makes you think. If some engineer has done it, you just take it and you start moving things around and so what. But there is something that happens kinetically and kinesthetically when we touch it, we move it, we say that's not right, we discuss it with our fellows. In a moment, we're going to send you out to verify what you've done. But in working with CAD maps, they will rob us of our thinking because they rob us of our touch. 
of our touch and the connection between touch and our brain. You can be sure the technician who created the maps got to know the area very well, intimately. And you can't take that away from the people who are actually going to create insights into how to make their areas better. So you do it from scratch. In addition, so you get deeper insights. The second thing is it smooths out the working relationship between people. In creating these maps from scratch, in the training room, it's sometimes called a normalizing activity. It's a way for everyone to contribute equally with a high promise of success. There's very little failure here. You're making a map of something you already know. You're cutting post-its. The focus is outward, not directly on each other. If the culture in a given work area is a bit touchy, doing the maps together is a very good way for better teaming, and it's also a lot of fun. So this is about all we can do this week. We're going to pick up the completion of the What Is Map next week. Some of you understand very well how important this is and how useful it is. But for those of you who are kind of on the edge thinking, why am I, why is she spending so much time on this? It's because it's an exercise that I have been wildly successful at over more than 20 years and that our licensees and the people who work with us, if they do this exercise right, it is a breakthrough in redesigning through operators the workplace, not just the relay out of the machines, but of, in fact, of all of the pieces in between. It's extremely, extremely valuable. So today we went over the, the rationale between, behind smart placement. We started our what is map. We're making our could be map, the second map in parallel. We won't be using that for an hour or two, but it's getting ready. So it'll be ready when we're ready. And you know what? We're going to pick up this exciting episode next week. We'll continue, and you'll wait until you see what happens next. Okay? Please call in, email, give me your complaints about not using CAD, and uh, we'll have another lively show. I hope you join us. This is important, and I'm so glad to be presenting this to you. So this is The Visual Workplace. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm now signing off. Hasta luego. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.